podcast at Ground Zero is presented to you by the Apocalypse. Because without the Apocalypse we wouldn't be doing this show. sun hangs low on the horizon, illuminating the ruins of man's civilization with a bloody light. Is it the sunset of Earth, or the sunrise of a brave new world? You can decide as you boldly stride the rubble-strewn streets of the aftermath. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse! This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the apocalypse, for episode 94, Aftermath RPG. I am the apocalypse nerd. He is Adam Bomb Glancy. Welcome to the Wastelands. Now, well, that was quite the intro, sir. Thank you. I, I, I'm a little, I'm a little ashamed we haven't been doing that for 93 other episodes because that was top, that was top notch. Thank you, and uh, that was all. Well, I had it in front of me just in case, but I pretty much have that for memory. Um, now, aftermath RPG. Now I know uh, our listeners are sitting there. Jesus, guys, what the fuck? Another fucking role-playing game? Yes. Yes, we are doing another episode about a role-playing game. Because, like we said last episode, that's where our nerd lies. Because I think I think if you look at us, uh, both, of, both of us as a whole, most of our nerd lies into ga- in gaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm afraid that is correct. Uh, that's, that is, that's where, if I've made any money nerding, it has been, uh, it's been, oh, Am I muted? No, no, I can no. hear you. Sorry, uh, the cursor was on the screen and it was showing the button that says mute, and I thought, oh boy, it was I'm a, muted. It was a it was a premonition, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> a premonition of the apocalypse. Um, so, so all right, so today we are going to talk. We, we've mentioned this before because, uh, like I said, um, I was kind of thinking about stuff, and uh, and I'm like, well, um. There's been a lot of stuff that, like, you know, we basically, you know, freaking shotgun pattern a lot of stuff. When we did a lot of broad topics, we talked about role-playing games and this and that. We just, like, bam, bam, bam. We, we, talk, we just, like, touched on stuff. And I was like, you know what? Why haven't we talked about after the Aftermath RPG ever? Because that's... Okay, I've never played the effing game, but it's one of my favorites. I just love it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the Aftermath RPG. Now, the Aftermath RPG... Um, well, you know what, before we, uh, go into that, I just had to say something here, and Scott's gonna freaking shoot me next time he sees me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> He's when, t- how is that, how is that different from any other time I see you? I don't know, but, uh, well, this is recent, so I was telling, okay, because this is kind of, this is apocalypse adjacent, okay? Okay, right. I'm, 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 we're listening, we're listening. Okay, so, um, Joe Dever is a writer. Game writer, he developed. Um, uh, he did a lot of uh, um, choose your own adventure books, uh, RPG books. Uh, you know, for, and he was based. Uh, they, they came out of England. Uh, he was famous for the Lone Wolf series, uh, but he also did um, 
uh, Freeway Warrior, which is oh, yeah. which is apocalyptic. It's, it was a four book uh, uh, game, uh, four four different game books. So it's it's so Joe Dever is apocalyptic. I think it's it's Dever, right? Yeah, it's Dever. Um, mm-hmm. Not I always want to say Denver, but it's not Denver. It's Dever. It's like D E V E R. So uh, so 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 he's post apocalyptic adjacent. So. I came across this weird art, this weird little ad. I mean, just randomly the other day. Um, it wasn't for a Freeway Warrior, um, but and, and I know I should be saving all this crap for an off-topic show. But you know what? I'm kind of reverting back a little bit. So, um, <laughs> it's the apocalypse. It's chaos. Nothing. Can be, nothing is. There are no rules. There's no rules except for the ones you make. But so uh, part of a in the RPG his in the in the gaming history. Um, and it started way, uh, way back. I th- actually, I think um, Rick Loomis from Flying Buffalo was the first one to do play by mail games, especially they're like like strategy games. So there were, especially in the eighties, seventies uh, into the eighties, there were the there were play by mail games. You know, like you would, you know, because the internet wasn't you know a predominant thing. You know, people in the eighties had were on some message board and stuff, but the internet as modern as we know it didn't really start to develop um until like AOL in the 90s. So before that, it wasn't you just didn't get on the internet to do shit. Uh so they had play by mail like you mailed in your moves, you paid like whatever it was a dollar, they calculated the moves sent you back. So there was play by mail, but they had in the late 80s play by phone for a lone wolf game and it was uh they called it Phone Quest. And wow, it was called it was called Phone Quest. It was Lone Wolf, and uh, it had like a little address, like you wrote in with a self address stamp envelope to get the game booklet, and I guess whatever to keep track of stuff. And you called in, and you it had like an automated response system, and you it gave you choices, and you and again you marked it down your map, so you played by phone, so you had the immediate things. But you know it was a, uh, you know I think it was back then it was twenty five p a minute, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but it was it was just this fascinating, weird, uh, eclectic piece of gaming history that they had a play by phone game, which was uh, I'm just totally I was totally blown away. I'd never heard of that. So we start. So I started talking about that because I was like, oh, because it costs per minute. So I started talking to Mr. Uh, Mr. Oh, Glancy here. Yeah, yeah, here it comes. About <laughs> that you know it must have been during it was during the height of the uh, 900 number craze. Uh, you know, because you know, in the '80s and the '90s, 900 numbers were pretty big. And then, of course, you know, you know, Mr. Glance's reaction was they were big in the '90s, in the '80s, '90s. And I was like, "Have you been living under? Did you live under a rock back then? Because <laughs> 900 numbers were everywhere. You could call like there was like a Ninja Turtle and wrestling, and you know, like me and my friends want a party. Like there was every kind of 900 number that you could yeah. pay for." Um, I, I guess I guess I blocked it out once I uh, I ran up a seventeen hundred dollar credit card bill calling yeah. you know one nine hundred hot babes uh, and I've just never wanted to revisit the subject of one nine hundred numbers ever again. Oh yeah, well you know what I I wish I had the ability to block up that kind of useful stuff because you know I were like you know I remember like you know like you know uh, breakfast cereal jingles from the seventies all kinds of useless crap that it's like. There's no room in my brain for any like good information. It's just all useless shit. So yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what we really need is that flashy thing from uh, Men in Black or something. You know, uh, just clear out some space in the hard drive so we can actually learn something new. Yeah, but speaking I... of old things, that uh, speaking of things that are not new, 
let's uh, let's start talking about the nice uh, folks at Fantasy Games Unlimited and their hefty box, hefty box that was the original Aftermath game. This is what 1981. It originally came, it was first published in 1981, and it was created by Paul Hume and Robert. Uh, Charette. Sure, I think I think it's Charette. Charette. So uh, it was designed by them, and according to the box in the back, they had two years of playtesting. Now, uh, FGU Fantasy Games Limited, actually, believe it, folks, in its in a very small capacity, is still around, and they're still putting some stuff out. Mm-hmm. Now, FGU uh, did a lot of other games uh, prior. Because actually, I think Aftermath was printed by somebody else. Uh, but I think FGU picked it up and started printing it in '81. I think it was. I think somebody else put it out prior. I um, in the late maybe '79. I'd have to look it up. Okay. But FGU put out. Uh, they were known for space opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they, that was their answer to Traveler, uh, space opera. Bushido, uh, Bushido, Swords and Chivalry, uh, Villains of Vigilantes, um, uh, uh, Gangster. I think they have like a, they have like Daredevils. A, Daredevils. Daredevils was uh, another one of theirs I picked up, which was their their pulp game. Their, pulp game. Their their sort of Indiana right after Indiana Jones came out, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They had a game so you could travel the world in the 1930s and punch Nazis. Merc. Merc. Yes. There was I, a modern combat game. I still have my original copy that I played. Me and my one friend played the hell out of that. Um, Back in the you know back in the you know early, mid to early eighties because like that like before I played D and D with any kind of regularity like I first played D and D in nineteen eighty but then I started but before I got back to D and D in like eighty five I was playing Merc Gamma World the Top Secret I was playing all these other games but uh, after you put out a lot of good games and the the problem with with uh, I think a lot of their games was uh, there was some uh, complexity and especially. Aftermath. So the aftermath is a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, I think the general setting it, it, it could be anything. It's one of the things you could be anything you want. Yeah, they they have some modules that have some uh, uh, you know sort of a, a collective story. But they when they originally wrote the the main book set, it was like here are your wide range of apocalypses you can inflict on your players. Everything from alien invasions to you know uh, viral disease to post-nuclear cold war shenanigans but the way but the way things are written it's generally more of a right after kind of you know within a few within a few years after it's not like set 120 years or well, some of years. them are some well no no are. some of the adventures are but i'm saying like yes. the core books as written generally takes the assumption that it's not that far after the apocalypse That's so fair. That's fair. um so it came in a nice box set so you know again i was watching I was watching Thundar. I had Gamma World. So I'm like, I'm in middle school, and I saw Aftermath post-apocalyptic. I gotta get that. And I never played it, because it was a little complicated. You know, even though it says role-playing, if you crack open the first book, and the, and mm-hmm. the game does come with three rule books in it, uh, you know, all full 8.5 by 11 size. You got your basic rule book, book one, The World of the Aftermath, uh, book three, and Survivors of the Aftermath, book two. I don't have them in order. Um, but on book one... It does say basic rules for role playing simulation. Oh boy, is it! It does try to. And I've been. I was looking through the rules again, which I haven't looked at in decades. Yeah, they're really trying to be a simulation uh, game, yeah. like like uh, Twilight Two Thousand was. You know, simulation yes. game. Yeah. 
they are, and but, but at the same time, uh, Twilight 2000 actually dumbed down, the first edition of Twilight 2000 dumbed down some of the role-playing game aspects uh, in favor of being far more of a wargaming setting. You know what I mean? Um, it, it really did. But uh, Aftermath, in a lot of ways, tries to have it both ways. It wants the detail of a simulation, but then it wants also the richness of role playing, and it it creates a uh, a character generation and a combat system that are they're like doing your taxes while while you're performing oral surgery on yourself. It is it is a lot. Oh, it I lot. I figured out when I was thirteen how to make up characters. I I used to make yes. characters all the time. Um, but but getting into the entire uh, rule system uh, got was a little bit different. Well, like for number one, combat in the game. You know, I'll jump to combat now. Also in the game book, besides the three core books, you had uh, a basic uh, starter adventure, uh, which came with some uh, chits to play on the map, um, and it also had a character sheet and a threefold. GM type screen, which had a lot of references to the 30 location hip chart tables, um, a full page combat procedural flow chart. Okay, you needed a flow chart to do combat. Okay, that's just it's crazy. So, we figured out how to do characters. Um, but the one thing I did see in one of the rule books was. Now let me also point yeah, out yeah. Well, I'm looking. that in the in the hit location tables that the hit location tables have modifiers so that if you're shooting somebody from behind or from above or from the rear uh, or from below, it changes the hit locations. Um, there's even inside the rule book another hit location table. For somebody sitting down in a car. Oh yeah, because they'll be hit from because there's bar- you know the glass gives you a barrier, the door oh gives you a God. barrier. It's a lot. It's a lot, Jared. Oh my God, it's a lot. Oh my God, it's yeah, it's super detailed. It's um, and everything's uh, everything's on hexes. So which that's you get the kind of that you get that kind of um, oh war- yeah. you get the war gaming feel from that because everything's hexes. Hmm. Absolutely. There was a part of this book that I saw. Now I can't find the. I can't find the reference now. Um, is it in the charts here? Because it says there is like a fifteen-point checklist that you sh- that it suggests that you follow for making your characters. Fifteen-point checklist. Hmm. The last one is like inform your inform your game master that you've completed your character is like step fifteen. Uh, <laughs> in, 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 inform your next of kid that you've begun to play aftermath and will never be heard from again because you're, you're about to start a round of combat and that should take you the rest of the week. <laughs> send send help if you don't they don't hear from you in the next three days. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's 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 very detailed. I mean, everything's all abbreviations, you know, like every, you know, firearms have the, uh, uh, it's a BDG, everything's a BDG, which is a bullet damage group, and then there's a, there's, everything is like your basic 
something check and everything's all everything's an abbreviation for something mm-hmm. everything's a everything's a modifier for something like even like you know creating your character like even like creating your characters is like super complicated it's like well oh there's offhand dexterity not just your dexterity well you have to off- have that but, but then there's also your another dexterity rating for your for your not you know your non-major hand your dominant hand i that's that's a bit much and again when they're, when they're doing things, they've got a, a right on the character sheet. They've got things like they want to know where which pocket your shit is in. They want to know what's on your belt if it's uh, slung on the left, slung on the right. Um, what's in your backpack? You know, uh, well, I get that encumbrance is a thing and should be considered in uh, certain role playing games, but this is a bit. This is a bit much. Oh, there's there's five columns for your attributes. There's the allocated. There's the permanent. There's the current. Uh, you know, mm. you know, score. Then there's the AST and the CST, which I don't remember which it is. You have your alerting rate. Your then there's also the freely improvable skills. Your strength group. Your maximum number of actions. Your base action phase. Your phases consumed in action. Your combat uh, dodge ability. Your healing rate. Your shock factor. Your damage versus total damage taken. And critical damage. This is all in your character sheet. Not to mention these uh, talents over here. This list of skills that comes with it. Uh, charismatic, combative, communicative, aesthetic, mechanical, natural, scientific. What the fuck? Well, those are all for the, your skills and traits because everything is like, well, what's your ability plus your talent plus your. The... Yeah. It's yeah, a com- ability it, plus talent, yes. It's a complicated system, folks. It's really, but. But I read this book when I was like in the middle school. I read this book over these books over and over and over again. Even though I didn't understand the mechanics of running a game, I just read them over and over again because it was post-apocalyptic, and it had some it had some really good stuff in it, at least information-wise. You know, yeah. I think it's got some really good resources that you could take a lot of this. And punch it into any like if you know you were gonna run a modern aftermath game, you could use some kind of rules light system and use a lot of the resources that are in these books. Um, well, certainly they've got an entire you know as far you know when it comes to the campaign packs or the uh, scenario packs, you know you've got um, the first one the free the the, the Chicago city state mm-hmm. is a huge environment. I mean, um, I guess that's. Uh, it's J. Andrew Keith who designed it, and uh, he's got illustration in it by his brother, William H. Keith. They later went on to do a crap ton of stuff for um, the role-playing game Traveler, and eventually went on to found Fossa. Okay. Um, who went on to do things like Mech Warrior and shit like that. Um, they used uh, they they uh, I want to say they're the ones who also went off and did a Star Trek role playing game and a Doctor Who role playing game back in the eighties. Oh, FASA, yeah, they absolutely yeah. did that. Yeah. So, um, the uh, campaign book one, City State, is definitely got both their fingerprints all over it, in that it is uh, it really did a pretty good job of creating a uh, uh, an interesting environment uh, that because uh, they were Chicago natives. Um, that you could, uh, you know, encounter while playing a post-apocalyptic setting, so long as it was a not too, uh, as long as it wasn't too gamma worldish. You know, um, I want to said in the when we we're getting started that 
aftermath always struck me as the the like, like a knee jerk reaction to Gamble, or Gamble World, where radiation gives you superpowers, right? And radi and there's lasers and but, the, but the rules, but, are, the but rules they... are light, and you know you know, but it's rules light, and and it's simple, you know, it, it was a very simple system, and and uh, it feels like the people who designed this were like, you know what? This is this is not how to run an apocalypse. This Gamble World, we're going to show you how to run an apocalypse, and it's going to require modifiers and charts and that's how we're going to run an apocalypse and um well yeah but 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 in in book three the world of the aftermath uh besides giving you multiple types of scenarios about how the world ends this is book number three is a good resource book it has lots like whether it's a like you said alien invasion pandemic zombie you know whatever the case may be it's got a lot of cool it's got a you know cool information you know the Hammer of Nature, the Aliens, uh, Twist in Space, you know. Um, it does the, have psychic powers. It does have ESP powers. It does it, have... Psychic the, powers and mutations change. and mutations. But you got to admit, you got to admit that the mutations that are in here are more... They're more like what we'd expect from Planet of the Apes than we would from Gamma World. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they hang around on the edge of hard sci-fi. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's none of this, you know, David Banner gets some gamma radiation and now he's the Hulk, which is a lot of, a lot of gamma world radiation mutations come off as the kind of origin stories you'd expect for some superheroes, radioactive spiders, whatnot. You know what I mean? Um, the aftermath stuff comes off much closer to the kind of mutations you'd expect to see in those Gene Roddenberry, uh, you know, uh, uh, Genesis 2 or, you know, Planet of the Apes or something like that. Do you know what I mean? In fact, you know, I just opened this thing up and son of a bitch, there's actually a section, there's actually a section on intelligent apes, including an illustration that is absolutely cribbed from Ape City. Oh yeah, well nobody's going to see it but me. But uh... yeah, but there's absolutely an illustration crib from Ape City with an ape wearing a helmet, like um, <laughs> General Ursus from Beneath the Planet of the Apes. So they they were already on board. They were on board for you know freaking oh, Planet of the Apes. They, they... It was almost kind of gurpish, you know. Uh, you know, like they could give you the possibilities of any scenario because you know besides uh, you know. All those scenarios, it also had, you know, like mutations. It, it, it did have psych, psionics. It did have, um, there is uh, cybernetics they have in it, robots. They got they, a big section. They got a big section for crazy androids that are looking very Westworldy. Yep, they covered, they covered all this stuff again. But a lot of this, like you said, it's not, uh, it's not super science. You know, it's not uh, like Gamma World, but they try to be a little more, like you said, a little more, a little more hard science fiction with it. Well, it's certainly very dominated by the science fiction of the 1970s. You know what I mean? Like, um, uh, you know, like the science fiction you might see in uh, A Boy and His Dog or Westworld or, you know, the Planet of the Apes movies, um, you know, or things like that. Um, certainly, you know, when they get their selected bibliography covers things like, uh, you know, what did we take our 
marching orders from, you know, right on the top. They've got Ellison's a boy and his dog. Uh, Pat Frank's the last. Oh, 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 yeah, no, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's well. I was going to get to that. Was their selected okay. bibliography? Um, yeah, uh, a lot of the early post-apocalyptic books that I discovered and started reading were from not just from Gamma World. Uh, was from here, yeah. Pierce Anthony's Battle Circle. Uh, you know, the Sheep Look Up, Some Will Not Die, Lost Continent, Boy and His Dog, Last Babylon, A Cannon Tell for Leibowitz, uh, Lucifer's Hammer, Starman's Son. We're all listed in the back here. This this was my this was my list when I went to bo- uh, bookstores use bookstores to find you know or, or new bookstores to see what I could find um, was from the aftermath, not Gamma World. Everybody's like it was like oh the books in Gamma World. It's like well there's other, you know there's other recommendations too you know so mm-hmm. but yeah these books cover like so many scenarios and. And then they get into super detail. They I mean they talk about uh, apparently the, this world they set up, um, you know, and you can do whatever you want, but they basically put a couple pages on barter systems because everything's barter in this, mm-hmm. you know, because again they kind of set a precedence of a world here. Barter systems like how do guns work? Like pages and pages and pages of guns. Again, the simulation aspect of it. And they certainly came from a point of view, it seems to be, where they presumed nobody knew anything about firearms. I mean, that their reader would know zero about firearms, because they get very, very detailed. Um, uh, so, you know, which I I guess you kind of have to do. Um, part of me sort of, uh, some of the problems I have when I'm writing material now is I've turned in stuff to my editor and he's like, well, nobody knows what it is. is glancy. You know, you've, you've turned in a bunch of stuff that doesn't, doesn't explain, you know, a particular type of tech or a particular type of, uh, uh, military formation. It doesn't make any sense. And I have a, you know, I, I sometimes presume that, uh, that the audience knows as much as I do, uh, which is a big fail, um, more than once. Uh, these guys at least went at it from the, the perspective of they they don't talk down to their audience. And maybe, you know, for some people who are a little more familiar with the material, uh, that is, say, firearms or they're familiar with um, post-apocalyptic fiction, uh, they might it might seem a little overdone, a little over-explaining. But um, if you've got an audience who's coming from D&D, you know, their experience of role-playing games is you take a sword and you hit it, you know, and you wear chain mail. Then yeah, you know they get it. They they dig out the details on this. Absolutely. Oh, they oh they, they particularly do because I mean they get into details of vehicle combat, everything. Mm-hmm. And here's how here's something from uh, the back of uh, book uh, two, practical considerations, and that's where I found the character generation checklist, which again was fifteen check things on the on the list. It also says for practical considerations. It says remember several things. Nobody is an expert in everything. It is blatantly unfair and rude to snarl at the game master or other players because he makes a slip in working with some area you have expertise in. Except, expect the same courtesy from them that you give. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that sounds like something I'd like to see a little bit more around the uh, gaming table myself. Um, the, uh, the, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I thought those. I just, I just read. I mean, I mean, I probably again, I haven't read this in decades, many decades, but it's like, oh, that's a good piece of role playing advice that a lot of people should, you know, um, adhere to. 
you know. Yeah, which... if uh, somebody around the table has some knowledge that you don't have on a subject, just uh, quiz them on it. And, uh, you know, it's like that old line about improv. You don't say no, you say yes, and. So you take whatever they gave you and they go, you you know, you and, you yes and them. Okay, yes, that gun doesn't hold that many bullets. And he has another magazine, which he's now loading in. What are you going to do? Um, you know, you, you work from that direction. Uh, that the expertise around the table can only help make things better. Um, I got to, I went was at, uh, was at uh, Necronomicon Providence a few years back. I had a guy who was an electrician. And so he was able to add some really gruesome details about the fatality of working with electricity that made a scenario just that much better. Because he's like, oh yeah, this is, you know, here's here are some of the problems we're going to have dealing with electricity. I'm like, oh, that's, it's just delicious. It was just delicious, horrifying details. But he wasn't a cock about it. You no, know? no, he just yeah. he just threw out some extra details. And I'm like, shit, I never forgot. Like the whole thing about once you've gotten a big shock, you need to go to the hospital and be put in, you know, like the water and salts bath to sort of allow the voltage to leave your body, allow the charge to leave your body. Otherwise, the charge will just stay in your body, slowly cook, cooking your organs for hours after you've been shocked. Hmm. It's not just one kabam, you're shocked, you know, and, you know, you, it was something where somebody at work woke up, having been knocked unconscious and thought they could go back to work, but they still had a charge in their body. And if they did not get into that, I want to say it was like literally a bath with salts in it to change the, you know, the properties so that the charge would leave the human tissue and go into a, a material that was more conductive which was the salt in the water, um, that would drain the charge. Otherwise, the charge would just be in the body damaging cells for hours after they, they took the charge. That was, a sh- that was a surprise. I was going to say shocker, but that was a surprise to me. I never knew that. Um, I look forward to the opportunity of inflicting that on players in the future. Something, something to put in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. But... Aftermath certainly didn't, uh, you know, certainly did its best to do, try to do everything, psychic powers, mutations, vehicle combat, you know, something that's sadly missing from Gamma World. Vehicle combat was almost. Oh, they 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 cover they cover all kinds of weapons. They cover splash damage. They cover the barter process, gears and equipment. Um, you know. It's like they have they're like they're like somewhat they, they they get a little somewhat futuristic with some things you know like you know there's like you know um like a mag tuner to like pick electronic locks and you know the cybernetics so i mean they do touch on stuff and some of the armor you know like a lot of the you know the early prototype stuff they used to talk about like in magazines for like the army soldiers and stuff and um yeah, operating vehicles, the combat, they talk about, you know, starvation, water, thirst, weather. For fuck's sakes, there's hit locations specifically for sharks. Well, that's important. Because <laughs> sharks sharks being a, a well-known hazard of the apocalypse. They even talk about uh, cannibalism. They cover it. Of course. It. And it's like, it's like literally like a half a page. They talk about cannibalism. Oh, Jesus. It's not, it's not one paragraph. <laughs> somebody i think somebody's telling on themselves <laughs> if somebody spent half a page on cannibalism they may be telling on themselves but it is it was a altogether i mean it was a huge 
standalone publication. You know, you got a lot of crap with with aftermath, and it was. Oh, here, 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 was, here! Here's the last sentence for uh, on the cannibalism subject. Oh dear, it's an ugly question, but it must be dealt with by each campaign. Who goes ghoul, and what does it cost him in mind and soul? <laughs> you never know when you might have to kill your girlfriend and feed him to your dog like in uh, a boy and his dog you know it's right there Harlan Ellison you know has our main character be a cannibal right there in the story so yeah I don't know exactly. if I should really call her his girlfriend she was the girl he knew who was constantly screwing him over and manipulating him the whole story so maybe that doesn't quite count as girlfriend well but, yeah she, she was a girl and she was kind of his friend she was an acquaintance <laughs> <laughs> she was a terrible person too but um yeah uh doesn't work out for anybody on that one um especially with the uh, sequel um what was the name of the sequel for never mind doesn't matter doesn't matter uh there was that there's a there's a follow to the boy and his dog that i could never remember the i could never remember the name of um but uh yeah it, it, aftermath i mean i you know picked up uh a number of their scenarios i picked up their uh their sydney campaign pack um well, they... i have a, a number of others that are on um that are on uh pdf I haven't gotten a hard copy yet. I would like to get a hard copy of Project Morpheus. They're because... they're uh, they're they're, fu- they're they had originally had five core books they put out. Uh, rule mm-hmm. uh, resource. There was Scenario Pack One Into the Ruins, which is a, which was their I think one of their smaller ones. Yep. Um, I actually cribbed the uh, some of this for a, a Gamma World game once. Um, then there's the Adventure Pack K One, The Empire of Caro. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the City State uh, Campaign Pack C1, the City State, Chicago, Illinois, River Valley. There's the uh, Scenario Pack A2, Campaign Pack A2, Sydney, which I believe has some uh, mutated uh, mutations in it. Because I think yep. this one, I think it's, because I think that one is set. It's, two, it's like hundreds of years after the war. Yeah, that one's set, I think that was their, one of their first ones that, uh, oh no, that was their second one that was set in the far future. Mm-hmm. But then there's Operation Morpheus, the ruins of the university, which was also set in Australia. This one had uh, cryogenics. This one had um, uh, uh, androids, I believe, mm-hmm. in it. So this one was set. Uh, it doesn't quite say. I want to say that it's a couple hundred years. I mean, there's still remnants of the Soviet invasion force of Australia camped out around Sydney Harbor, but. Uh, you know, there, there is no Soviet Union anymore. They are just one of the communities living around Sydney Harbor at this point. Yeah, and this you know takes place at university. And one of the things that I always, I always remembered from this. I mean, this is a and this is a this is like a mega dungeon. This has got like a, this university. It's really a lot of detail maps here. It um, like there's robots, androids. So some of it's kind of quasi futuristic. In Operation Morpheus. Um, there's you you're going through some of the uh rooms and you come across like somebody like uh somebody the like a rec room was doing a painting i guess at the time of the apocalypse mm-hmm. like right after and it's like a picture of like a cityscape of a ruined burning australia and it says <laughs> and, and they're like in the picture and then painted on the picture says welcome ragnarok you know 
Yeah, so, that's that's what you would wake up to. Absolutely. So there was the the five core books, and then then for uh, then there was like a rumored like aftermath. I think it was like magic or technology that was rumored, but I never found it. But later on, in like the the late aughts, because uh, FGU never went away. Um, they're still around. I think it's still run by one guy now. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I want to say David Hammer is the guy's name. Working working out of a game store somewhere in the Midwest, maybe maybe Arizona or something. Uh, they still have a website, and because I know, because I, I I wound up ordering because for some reason I, I found on their website they still had copies of the Aftermath rulebook, rulebooks, and I'm like, oh, I because it was one picture, and I thought it was the the box cover. I thought I was ordering a box because I thought it was like a like a new old stock box, mm-hmm. but uh, apparently, sometime in the you know, in the aughts, he printed up a a perfect bound book of all three rulebooks into one book. So you could still get the rulebook. Besides it being a drive-through RPG, you could get the rulebook. All three books, you know, and it even has the survive uh, scenario, uh, which was the introductory adventure in the back with the maps, um, character sheets, like everything that was in the box set is in this, uh, you know, this soft cover book. Mm-hmm. And then they also started producing some other things. Like one of the things they produced was. Uh, an aftermath technology book, and then there was like an aftermath magic book. There was a bunch of new scenarios they made up that have come. There's another four, maybe three, four of them. There's a aftermath survival guide which gets into super details about all surviving all kinds of different apocalyptic scenarios. So uh, there's still some stuff being put out for aftermath, even after you know forty years. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's a little hard to argue with that kind of longevity. I mean, I'm complaining that uh, the uh, combat and the uh, rule system was was uh, way too crunchy um, and and was frankly for, you know, when I picked it up back in the, uh, you know, back in the uh, uh, early 80s for a kid who's just in high school, um, this was a little this was intimidating. This was an intimidating system. I found that Aftermath became something that I, I strip-mined for material so that I could play their scenarios using other rules. Same thing that happened with Daredevils. Same thing that happened with Chivalry and Sorcery. Fantasy Games Unlimited created, came up with really good scenarios, but I was never able to, to really use their rules set effectively. Uh, so I would just strip mine it for good ideas, which they had a lot of. Oh yeah. You know? no, their, their resources. It's great material. Like mm-hmm. I would like, like reading all the, 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 just in the basic books is all the potential, like, you know, scenarios for an apocalypse. It's all good information. But again, if the rule system, like I said, crunchy is, you know, um, yeah, a term that we don't oh, use and- lightly. And I got to throw this out. One of my favorite post-apocalypse things ever is that is a weird little scenario that appeared in the space gamer called, I think it's called Antelope Island. And it is a scenario that uh, I thought it was for Gamera, but it was actually for Aftermath. Huh. It was sort of designed as, uh, it was a scenario that was published, it was sort of designed as a systemless scenario, but it is just, it's a couple hundred years in the future uh, it involves, you know, uh, tracking down a, a, a signal that was beamed across the country that, uh, you know, a television signal that you picked up 
And um, strangely enough, uh, it was all illustrated. One of the things that it strikes me about it is it was all illustrated by Liz Danforth, who's the same illustrator who did uh, all the interiors for the Sydney campaign pack. Not, not sure what the connection there is, except maybe Liz Danforth. But Liz Danforth did a lot of illustrations for Twilight 2000, too. She did a lot of, for a lot of the scenarios, the early scenario books, she did all of the uh, character portraits uh, for Twilight 2000. Um, really good illustrator. Uh, little, she's a little older than we are. Um, uh, did a shit ton of Tunnels and Trolls. Yeah. Just a ton of Tunnels and Trolls. Um, but yeah, uh, it was called, uh, the adventure was called Antelope Island and it really had some super cool shit in it. Um, whoever wrote, I'm going to, I'm, while you're doing something else, I'm going to look that up just to throw the name out so we can give the guy some props. But he, he created a, a, you know, post-apocalyptic world in the scenario that was a couple hundred years in the future that was built around, uh, the, the Holy Sea in Utah, what was formerly known as Utah the Holy Sea, which was basically the Great Lakes and some of the other lakes have filled in even more. Hmm. So Salt Lake City is sort of submerged partially, except some of the buildings stick out. And around the lake is the, uh, you know, the, the Holy Empire of Deseret. So the Mormons are still there sort of in a, but they've, they've gone very medieval Catholic. And, uh, uh, at one point, uh, you can run into a group of uh, a society that is an expedition from a society that are the descendants of Soviet paratroopers that were dropped into Colorado and have somehow become this weird kind of Cossack society that has evolved uh, out in the, in, in Colorado. You could run into where they have this weird blur of Cossack and communist culture. Uh, together they had a lot of cool little ideas in it um i was really happy with it and uh let me just quickly look it up it's like the it could have also been called the pirates of the holy sea because most of the story involves piracy on the giant inland lake that has uh, become the center of utah i'm pretty sure i've got a copy of it uh, a copy of that space gamer on my hard drive just to throw out the names there but it was one of the few times i ever saw anything for aftermath in a major publication I never saw anything for Aftermath and Dragon, did you? Uh, not that I recall. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember anything. Uh, it, I don't remember anything from there. Uh, I just don't. Um, let's see here. Aftermath. Yeah, I'm looking at the... There were some references, reviews... For for uh, what do you call it, uh, the Dragon Magazine? Yeah, I'm looking. You know, there. Yeah, there's this. Uh, oh, that's that... it. It was Space Gamer number sixty eight, the Island of Antelope, and uh, yep, involves a uh, Nautilus style uh, post apocalyptic uh, submarine sailing on the uh, in the inland sea, and it was uh, you know, it was like a very long scenario. It was like 24 pages inside the space gamer. That's long for a magazine scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Or excuse me, 20. I just miscounted it. Yeah. It's like 20 pages and, um, written by, come on. 
Warren Spector and Christopher Frank. Well, I'm sorry you guys didn't write more shit because that was pretty good. But yeah, that's about the only time I ever remember seeing uh, uh, Aftermath turn up in in things like White Dwarf or Space Gamer or Dragon. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember seeing any. I don't. I I never even heard of that. So I just knew they had their published scenarios. But Mm -hmm. but yeah, but but like we said, uh, overall, like good. It's complicated. You know, complicated rules again, especially you know, you know. Scott, you know, I got it in like seventh grade. Scott was, you know, just starting high school. Uh, but, you know, f- f- it was a bit complicated for back, you know, at least for me. Well, how did you find it complicated? You played Twilight 2000 or you said yeah, Twilight 2000 I, is not as complicated as this. I, it is not. It is. It is honestly not as complicated. The original first edition was not um, as complicated. In fact, you know, well, it. There's a lot of stuff that's simplified in the original Twilight 2000, and we'll get into that one of these days, but the, the, one of the classics is they simplified ammunition down to the point where, you know, firearms didn't contain bullets. They contained shots, which was considered to be three bullets fired. So you'd have a 30-round magazine, but it only have 10 shots in it for game purposes. Mm. Now, that was really weird. It was like, I'd like to execute this prisoner, please. And the game master's like, well, you have to use up three bullets. Like, why can't I just use one? You know, well, I guess I'll stab it with my knife then. Or, I'm a sniper. Why am I firing three shots? Shut up and pull the trigger, you know. Uh, the game had, it, it, it didn't use up ammo in quite the nitpicky way that Aftermath does. Aftermath accounts for every bullet. The original Twilight 2000 didn't, you know. So when you're firing a belt of ammunition, you don't have to account for every single round coming out of that N60. So that alone made it less complicated. Yeah. Aftermath wants you to know where every bullet lands. And that's why there's a 30 location hit hit uh, uh, chart for yeah, the body. Modified by which direction they're standing and whether they're sitting in a car or, oh my God. Every piece of clothing you're wearing has an armor value because uh... it's co- because it's covering a location. And you got to have an armor value for that location. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so. All right. So it's a. This it's a nostalgia throwback system, folks. It's you know super. You know we thought it was super complicated. Some people may disagree, um, but my thirteen-year-old self thought it was super fucking complicated. And even looking at it now, it is still crunchy. It's way too crunchy for my liking, but. It has a lot of good ideas in it, and its scenarios have a lot of good scenarios. So, if anything, if you're play, if you were trying to play a, I think if you're trying to play a soon after type of scenario, not a far future one, um, I think you could glean a lot of information from the aftermath. And mm-hmm. again, it's still readily available. It's available in our. It's available. Uh, uh, FGU has a presence on Drive Through RPG. So you could get a PDF copy of the rules there. Uh, they're also still in a physical copy of it. Um, you know, if you're looking for, uh, you know, resources and uh, for your post, like said, soon after post-apocalyptic games, I think you could, I think it's useful. I think you can yeah. get, get some good information for, if anything, even if you're not playing the game itself, it's good for, again, as a reference source, you know, like, oh, okay, well, I'm... Uh, Here's some ideas for X, Y, and Z. You know, yeah. it's it's pretty good. For, I think it's I think it does a pretty pretty darn good job of that. Yeah, if, you know, if I needed to quickly whip, I mean, I could either try and design a complete guide to Chicago in uh, Twilight 2000 if I was playing Twilight, or I could just pick up the Aftermath book and go, okay, 
what can I modify to make this appropriate for Twilight 2000? You know, well, basically, basically just, uh, you're just going to use the framework of the scenario of the setting yeah. of the, of what's going on, the plots, the locations, and you could just use your Twilight 2000 rules, mm-hmm. character statistics, you know, that's it, yeah. you know? What, well, like anything else, any any I mean any game is like that. But like I said, I think this game is good for that. But it's like yeah, it's a, it's a it's a classic. It's a favorite. Um, I loved like I said, I loved reading it over and over again. It's reading list in the back gave me it turned me onto a lot of good books. That's where I found Lucifer's Hammer. That's where I found Battle Circle. That's where I found Starman's Son was because it was in the back of the aftermath book. Yep, yep, and. Uh... Certainly, that's how I used it. I wanted it to be, you know, I wanted it to be the mechanics that I could use to play, you know, Road Warrior or something, because it had, it had uh, vehicle rules. You oh, know? you could, you could, if mm-hmm. you know, if you got your uh, your protractor, your slide ruler, um... <laughs> and and your amazing combat flowchart. I mean, any combat game that has, you know, a flowchart to show you how to get through one round of combat. Um, that's already, we're in a, we're in a rough spot. We're, we're in a, we're in a rough patch, Jared. <laughs> we really well, are. Well, if, if you want to play a simulation, then, you know, you got to make sacrifices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it, it was part of that, you know, simulationist uh, credo that sort of peaked. I want, I want to pretend it peaked with uh, Phoenix command, you know, where Phoenix command, Phoenix command was a game where rather than model a combat round around what a person could do, combat rounds were sort of organized around what the weapon could do. It was for for people who wanted realistic gun combat or something, and they had all these physics models. And so combat's taking place in, 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 in fractions of a second with automatic weapons where they're going to track every bullet, you know? And they're going to track, you know, there's hit locations for how the bullet goes through somebody from what direction, you know, and all kinds of stuff like that. It was, it, it basically was, if, if <laughs> it, it took the complications of Aftermath and dialed them up to 11, okay? Because they felt uh, Aftermath was for pussies, okay? They felt they could do a better job. And so the result is, You'd have these games where it's like you, your character is just a meat delivery vehicle for your Uzi to get your Uzi to the fight, to shoot at the other meat delivery vehicle to stop it before its AK-47 can do you in. No. No. That doesn't sound fun? No. 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 Well, yeah, like you said, it made me think of um, the first uh, Metro 2033 video game. Like when, when, when uh, you would... Go to the you'd go to the gun um, vendor, mm-hmm. and um, he would be like, um, uh, gun, this, this, "The gun you have, this is for babies." So it's like <laughs> when I hear, so like aftermath, that game is for babies, you know. <laughs> that, that was that was Phoenix Command. They wanted you to they they wanted you to know which direction the bullet went through somebody whether it struck their kidney first or their liver. I mean, it was it was like that. It's too much. Um, well, actually, uh, while I was thinking about it, uh, FGU, Fantasy Games Unlimited, also had two other uh, post-apocalyptic or, po- or, pop post-po- or apocalyptic uh, adjacent 
uh, games out there. Two more box sets. There was You're the Phoenix. Oh, that's right. Which was, you know, you were part of some kind of space crew that when I, th- I think you either were in suspended animation or you went through some kind of, you know, time hole and you came like it was like, you know, uh, 50 years in the future and the Soviets had taken over and you got to, you know, fix everything. Yeah, um, you've arrived and it's already America with a K and you've got to fix it. And you got to fix it. And so it's kind of apocalyptic. And then there's uh, Freedom Fighters which has, like, multiple, like, post-apocalyptic settings in it. So it seems like almost they kind of, like, rip some of the material from Aftermath to put it into a different game. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe trying to give it a little bit of that Red Dawn flavor. Uh, yeah, well, no, Freedom Fighters was like, it could be anything. It could be, like, there's, like, it's aliens, it's, you know, a nuclear war, okay. it's whatever. Uh, it's like they ripped those kind of things out of the, F- the Aftermath book and put it there, so... But Aftermath, yeah, a bit of nostalgia. Um, again, if you're looking to you know get some good uh, source materials for a post-apocalyptic game, no matter whatever rule system you guys are using, it's worth. It's easy to pick up. It's worth. I think it's worth looking into at least again just for the just for the data. Uh, but again, it was a big part of my childhood. You know, uh, growing up. You know, Cold War, playing post-apocalyptic games, reading post-apocalyptic novels reading this rule, these rules over and over again, just like, oh, I want to play this game, this is so cool, I want to fight androids with my maglocks and my, you know, whatever, you know. Um, yeah. Big part of my childhood. But it's, again, it's a, you know, uh, and it's the, the fact that it's still around. Now, mind you, it's very niche. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, it's a testament to their game that it's still around, but, I mean, how popular is it really? It's, it's very, you know, I'm sure its audience is very small. But it must be enough for them to. Well, I mean, drive through RPG is easy. Um, mm-hmm. But at some point, there must have been at least some kind of uh, demand for stuff because in the late aughts, early teens is when they put out all these different scenarios, like the aftermath technology, aftermath magic, um, and a, like like four or five other, like I think another four other uh, scenario books they they, oh, they, yeah. they 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 put out. So at least ten years ago, there was some popularity that they continue to put this source material out. So. No, I, I agree that it's got it had legs, and one of the reasons was is that um, it was doing it was doing Twilight two thousand before Twilight two thousand showed up. Oh yeah, you know? um, it really five was. Year, five five years before, right? I think uh, it was it was trying to give the players uh, that taste of the you know uh, a, a harder sci fi post apocalypse, um, something that would give them uh, a little bit of that Cold War fix, you know. Uh, well, absolutely. Well, there was Mara Project also. If don't forget yes. about Mara Project. You're right. Uh, and now that you mentioned it, I guess those were our two. Those were our two go-to apocalypses once we got into hard sci-fi. Yep. Uh, once upon a time. We'll have, um, we'll we'll have to cover we'll have to cover Mara Project too, because um, I have on my shelf uh, pretty much all, uh, I think all the material that was ever put out because a friend of mine had it and he bequeathed it to me. Because uh, he was like, I'm getting, he got rid of all his RPGs because he's never going to play him. He's one of these guys, never going to play it again. And so, um, besides like two long boxes full of like, you know, um, champions, GURPS, um, mm-hmm. that I sold on eBay 15 years ago, but I kept all the aftermath, I kept all the Morrow Project stuff because, you know, we played it once and there's some good, there again, some good, good, some good source material. So we'll, co- yep. we'll, co- we'll, we'll cover a Morrow Project Mar- also too. Morrow Project is another one that would just slide effortlessly into some of this, um, any aftermath. Si- any system. Particu- particularly the stuff that's a few years in the future, like the stuff that's, you know, a couple of 150. I think if I remember correctly, it's 150 years. 
Yeah. So there's an enormous number of things that would slide. It would just, you could effortlessly slide those scenarios into an aftermath rule system. No problem. Um, yeah. Uh, the, um, yeah, those two games had a lot in common. Uh, the only difference maybe being at the time that they were being published, um, Aftermath had a higher quality of production. Yes. Because they had staple bound and they had a lot of interior illustrations. Uh, Mara Project, when it was first hitting the shelves, I remember a lot of spiral bound stuff. Yeah. Um, they were much smaller operation with a lot. Well, I think a lot of their stuff was designed uh, to fit in a three ring binder. Like the way it was printed yes. with the hole punch, so you could put them in a three ring binder. Yeah. But we'll talk about that, folks, because now I we have another topic for another episode. We are going to talk about the Mara Project. Yes, folks, we're going to talk about another fucking RPG. <laughs> is, this, um, is, this, is this just uh, poisoning the well for eventually when we get to talk about the new edition of Twilight 2000? People will be so sick of role-playing games that they will... They will throw tomatoes at me because, well, radioactive mandating tomatoes at me because I want to talk about the uh, the new edition of Twilight 2000. So there'll be a, an attack of the killer tomatoes against you? Something like that. That okay. seems apocalyptic. It does. Maybe we should cover it. But, uh, yeah, well, because, again, folks, you know what? I decided we're just going to talk. Like I told you, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. And uh, I l- love RPGs. So, But, again, we're trying to talk about post-apocalypse. So we're keep we're keeping on topic, folks. We're keeping on topic. Because Aftermath is a post-apocalyptic role-playing game. Moral Project is a post-apocalyptic uh, role-playing game. And, and, and uh, you know what, to bring up, like, somebody had mentioned, I saw a post somewhere, like, like, they enjoyed our talks about role-playing games, but they're like, could you talk about a more modern uh, post-apocalyptic role-playing game? And I was like, okay, you got a valid point. Uh, however. Yes, very valid point. Very valid point. However. There's not a lot of modern... Uh, now, when I say modern, there's stuff being produced. However, uh, some of the modern post-apocalyptic RPGs, besides the you know the revamp of Twilight 2000, uh, there's Mutant Crawl Classics, and they're still putting stuff out, but that game came out five years ago. So it's modern, but it's not new-new. It's been around for at least half a decade. Um, there's uh, Mutant Year Zero, which has been, a, I mean, they're still putting out stuff for Mutant Year Zero, but again, that that's probably been around for ten years now. Yep. Uh, so I guess it, I guess it's more modern in the sense that it didn't come out in the seventies or eighties. So, um, so I guess we could talk about that. I guess that would be considered modern. Um, yes, yes. But uh, that's... at least more modern. I mean, and again, we would say modern. The funny thing is, is that <laughs> the new, the new, the brand new Twilight Two Thousand that's that's been fourth edition you know, um, is despite being new, new is actually a throwback. It's Mm -hmm. a period piece set 30 years ago. They decided we're not going to update it for the the 21st century where you're going to have the apocalypse of the 21st century. Nope. Our apocalypse is going to happen in the 20th century and we're going to set it back in the good old days. It never happened. Well, it's, but, but the thing is, it's not a stretch. You know, when people play Call of Cthulhu, you're generally playing in the 20s. You're playing D&D. You're in an ancient medieval-style fantasy world. So I don't see why people would have a problem if you put out Twilight 2000. It's like, okay, it doesn't need to be modern day because so many other games you play are not modern day. Yeah, exactly. It'd be like, you know, no one complains when you decide to play a, uh, a game set in an alternate history World War II, right? 
where the you know the the war it's 1946 and the war is still going or something or there's a you know like a, a Achtun Cthulhu you know where the they're they're throwing mythos magic at each other uh so the uh, the new Twilight 2000 is is uh is a cool period piece and what I love about it of course is and we should save this for the actual broadcast is uh since it's set in an alternate past um I almost know what the playlist is because it's all music that was already made yeah. yeah. Although I kind of have to wonder what music uh, R.E.M. would have come up with if uh, we were in the middle of World War Three. Uh, would they have just, you know, would they have would they have just kept pushing the button on it's the end of the world as we know it? Or would they have come up with a few other songs about holy shit, the bombs are coming, you know? Um, punk rock would have made a comeback is all I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that uh, raw style of music would come back, party that's at, for sure. Party at Ground Zero, you know. Hence our, well, that w- hence our name, right? Yeah, well, it, yes, uh, uh, Party at Ground Zero was the influence for uh, uh, Podcast at Ground Zero because it kind of sounds the same and it sounds cool, you know? Because that was, uh, oh my God, who, uh, I'm getting old. Um, Party at Ground Zero was, um, I can't remember who, uh, I can't remember who sang oh, that. Oh, wow. I, I I thought I thought that was going to roll off the tip of your tongue, which is why. Now, dude, nothing rolls off the tip of my tongue anymore. <laughs> it's like I, uh, I, I am I am I I still want to make a joke about your wife, but I'm not going to do that. I am better than that. I'm a gentleman. I am just going to move straight on away from that topic. And uh, stop I, talking, Glancy. I'm, t- I'm, stop, I'm not talking anymore. This is me. Stop. Fish, f- fishbone, fishbone, fishbone. All right. I that was in my head. I was gonna say fishbone, but I wasn't sure, so I had to look it up. So, um, thank God for the and, internet. Thank God for the internet. I'd be totally lost. Um, anyway, so that that's it, folks. That's it. We're not gonna talk about this anymore. Um, but so, we are gonna talk about Mara Project, and we are gonna talk about Twilight 2000 in upcoming episodes. So we got at least two more RPG uh, episodes coming up, folks. So be prepared uh, to listen or not listen. Um, and I'm also going to watch, uh, I'm going to try to watch, uh, soon, um, Black Crab. I want to, I want to watch this. I I have seen Black Crab. I think you're going to, um, I'm not going to say shit. Watch Black Crab, sir. Just watch Black Crab. I'm going to watch that so we could talk about that because then we could then lead into, um, you know, um, Twilight 2000 Mm -hmm. episode. So there yep. you go, folks. That's uh, that's kind of what we got coming up. More RPGs. I, I know, I know. Just, just don't know. worry. They'll, we know, we know. Some black crab. We know, folks. Yeah, we'll throw in, we'll throw in a movie that's related to. We'll, we'll get to Station Eleven. Station Eleven. We'll get to we'll get to everything eventually, folks. Hey, just the fact that I'm getting two out this month, uh, we, we, should, we should all be very happy. So, <laughs> um, more meat, to, more meat before the dogs. All right, folks. So that's it. So. Uh, Again, uh, aftermath. You know, pick it up if you like. Uh, if you like post-apocalyptic RPGs, so uh, that's gonna be it, folks. Uh, we've already discussed about things that were are gonna be coming. So we got some more topics coming. And as always, uh, thank you uh, for your time with us. We hope you enjoyed, uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you and good night. Adios. If you enjoy the content we produce, please consider supporting us with a cup of coffee. Go to ko-fi.com slash p-c-a-g-z for more details.
Keep up to date with us by visiting podcast at groundzero.com and subscribe to the blog via email.